Approximately 74% of Kenya's population lives in rural areas. The population of Kenya as of 2020 is over 54 million people, making a density of approximately 245 people per square mile within a country with a land area of over 219,000 square miles. This is Stephanie Powers, and this is the William Holden Wildlife Foundation podcast. The census of 219 in Kenya estimated that the students in primary school numbered 10.1 million, most of which are in rural areas. Primary school starts at five to seven years of age, while infant school serves as a general kindergarten at undetermined ages. When we began our rural outreach program, it was inspired by the success of our first attempt at outreach with Kaharura Primary School in the forest above where the William Holden Wildlife Foundation's Education Center is located and where I rode my horses by accident. After discovering the extent of the lack of educational materials at Kaharura, we decided to build a small library as an extension to the forest school and install charts, books, maps of all sort that would not only show the world outside of Kenya, but would show animal diversity in various countries and what the human diversity looked like. Rand McNally in New York was always my stop to collect all the charts and maps that I would take with me to Kenya. Heather Eves was a young American woman in Kenya. She came there to do some final studies that would give her credits toward her master's degree. But Heather wanted to extend her stay in Kenya and had qualifications that would enable us to use her skills in creating curricula for the education center. So we put her to work. The addition of the library at Kahurura was an unexpected delight to Heather. And she began to develop fabulous activities for the students that were inspiring. Here, we had a captive audience for us to try various educational theories while teaching the reasons good forestry is an important component to biodiversity and a heavy influence in the climate around the world. All these ideas were very new for them, as well as for their parents, who became the ancillary beneficiaries of our efforts. The library at Kaharura became our star project, and the transition of the student body was absolutely remarkable. Their grades went up. There were students actually considering going to higher education, which had never occurred to them before. In those days, secondary school education was private, not free, not provided by the government, so it was completely out of the reach for most of the forest workers' children. A few years after the Kaharura Library was founded and functioning, the Kenya government imposed a moratorium on the tree cutting around Mount Kenya and demanded all forest workers who effectively lived on the mountain to remove their dwellings and leave the mountain. This meant the school would close and the teachers would be posted to other schools around the district. 
By this time, we had developed a really good working relationship with one of the teachers who became the librarian. We dismantled what we could of the building materials from the library, packed up the books, charts, and maps, and followed the librarian to his new school, called Wadituga. The formula and curricula Heather had designed for the first rural library became the template for the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth of the rural libraries we have provided. Heather not only left her mark on us, but after returning to the States, she got her master's degree and went on to becoming the moving force, the head of the anti-bushmeat crisis, and conducted seminars in many West and Central African countries for years. Among her many involvements, she is also a director of the William Holden Wildlife Foundation. Our story has come full circle, and I could not be more delighted or more proud of her. Our decision to use the venue of primary and secondary schools as a means for us to spread the gospel of conservation has a very logical basis. In the years of the 1970s and 80s, the former monotribal areas were changed into multi-tribal areas by the Kenya government. With roughly 47 tribes in Kenya, it was not an easy transition to mix people who had formerly lived in a single tribal community. So the word community could not really apply to the mixed areas, and it seemed that the only evidence of unity was exhibited by parents' mutual concern for their children's education. So it became apparent that the best way to get to the parents was through their children, and the best way to get to the children was through their schools. Not only did we build libraries onto existing rural schools, fill them with charts, maps, books, some curricula books, and magazines, pencils, papers, all sorts of educational materials, but our education officers, who were also lecturers, go to the schools regularly to offer lectures, videos, and presentations that we carefully design to be compatible with their regular studies, but in an expanded way, which seems to please their teachers. Whenever I can, I meet with the parents to discuss not only the subjects we teach their children, but how they may apply some of the methods we demonstrate, concerned with regeneration of soil and alternatives to habitat destruction that applies to them as well as the world and the planet and wildlife. In addition to the rural libraries, we could not help but try and improve the rural schools. The facilities at the rural schools themselves were in desperate trouble. Our library program proved so successful that all the schools we served had remarkable improvement on the average grades of their student body. With the generosity of a grant from one donor, we have been able to rebuild four schools whose buildings were consisted of tin roofs and slats of wood with gaps so wide that dust and rain blew in, affecting any chance of concentrating on learning. These model schools are the pride of their communities, the pride of their districts, and, as the wife of Kenya's president said, 
the pride of Kenya. Throughout the period of time that we've been reconstructing schools and continuing our lecture series in rural areas, we've become increasingly aware of the need to address the greatest threat to the survival of wildlife, human life, and the planet. That threat is the loss of habitat through excessive use of chemicals. Chemicals as fertilizers, chemicals as pesticides. This is a very large subject that has concerned scientists and environmentalists for decades. Now we have answers, and we have scientific proof that we must listen to. I'll be discussing this in our next podcast. For more information on the William Holden Wildlife Foundation, go to our website, whwf.org. And be sure to like and subscribe to this show so that you never miss an episode. And remember, wildlife is the echo of our own existence. This is Stephanie Powers.